1: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: As we welcome you along to the program, emails also coming into us at Cork Today at c103.ie. But I want to start with a peacemaking. One of the local papers today. This is from this week's edition of the Avenue newspaper, and it's to do with outdoor dining on the streets of our county towns. It looks set to remain in place. Now this will be good. good Good news for some, but for others, some of this outdoor dining has irked people because, of course, it has taken up what can be valuable parking spaces in some of our county towns. And it's a piece in the Avendu uh, by uh, Katie Galvin that says Cork County Council have confirmed that there are currently no plans to return to what they call the pre-COVID street layouts. Now, it was back at the kind of the start of COVID in certainly in the summer of 2020. There was a host of changes and developments were made to our streetscapes. And that was to do with the fact that local towns, we were all trying to adapt and trying to function with, you know, the advent of COVID-19. And of course, it was at a time when we were all told we were safe for being outdoors. So because of that, there was a number of developments under what was called Project Act, which was activating county towns. And what happened was the introduction of an increased amount of street furniture as outdoor dining uh, became very prominent and it became what people felt comfortable doing so these parklets, I think, is what we started calling them. Started springing up, generally speaking, close to, are usually outside a local cafe or a local uh, restaurant. But now businesses have returned to you know, more or less normal to what they were pre-COVID. Cork County Council have confirmed to the avenue this week there are no plans to get rid of that outdoor street furniture or to get rid of those parklets and go back to the way our streets were uh, before COVID hit. The Council have confirmed, however, that licences will be required to retain the street furniture going forward and it's all to do with Section 254 of the Planning and Development Act. So a valid street furniture light Sorry, a valid street furniture licence will be required under that Planning and Development Act and then that will allow for the placement of tables and chairs or any item on a a public road. But it looks like those parklets are going to remain in place because I assume the majority of the cafes that they are outside or close to see them as being good for business. So I can't see any of the local cafes not applying for that valid street furniture licence. You thought Welcome, welcomed, as I say. We always seem to get mixed reaction to it. Some people think they're great, but others, some people have just got used to them. But then there are others who bemoan the fact that the council ever decided to introduce that outdoor furniture because... We know they are taking up parking spaces. 0818 103 103. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the coronation of King Charles, which is happening this Saturday. And the reason I mention it, according to the Sun newspaper today, there was a royal rumble in the doll, And it was all to do with the coronation. And Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, actually jumped in uh, to defend the British monarchy. But he did say that he can foresee one day that they will become a republic. But he said, in the meantime, the monarchy exists and he insists that we as a country and one of their closest neighbours, we need to show it some respect. And what happened was there was a... He rushed in to defend the British uh, monarchy and it was to do with the row in the Dáil over RTE's planned coverage of King Charles' coronation on Saturday. There was two TDs, Paul Murphy and Richard Boyd Barrett. They both hit out at our national broadcaster's plan to devote four hours to Saturday's royal event. Paul Murphy branded the monarchy an institution built on racism, privilege and empire, and claimed the coronation was a very obvious attempt to rehabilitate that institution. He then went on to say that even in Britain, only 29% of the people there think that the monarchy is, a, is very important today. Yet he says, if we turn on RTE this Saturday, we're going to be treated to four hours of the coronation. What on earth is our state broadcaster spending four hours on Saturday displaying this so-called uh, coronation? Uh, Richard Boyd Barrett said most people in Ireland don't believe in kings and queens and monarchs and inherited power and privilege Particularly when it's associated with empire and with colonialism, but he did say this weekend we're going to ha- have huge amounts of public money in Britain spent on the coronation, and the national broadcaster in this country is going to broadcast it for four hours. Is that really an appropriate thing to be done from the standpoint of a uh, republic? Now, I know he also went on, you know, to talk about, and this is t- well, this is a British problem, not an Irish problem, but you know, talking about the amount of. Money that the British taxpayer will be spending on this coronation, which is an insult to the huge numbers of people who are living in poverty in the UK. But I mean, that's an argument for the UK government. But just on the wider one, should RTE be providing four hours of coverage of the uh, coronation? I mean, most people, I take it, will have access to one of the BBC channels, channels like you know, the BBC, ITV, Channel Four, if they want to sit down and uh, watch it. Or do you like the idea that RTE, our national, broadcaster will be devoting four hours of its coverage on Saturday and before anybody asks I don't know what it's going to cost to actually broadcast four hours of coverage of the coronation Uh, I can't find, I'll see if I can find out if there is a cost involved but your thoughts welcomed on that, is it only right and proper, they are our nearest uh, neighbours and will you be sitting down to watch the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla on Saturday, your thoughts welcomed some of your thoughts on RT e deciding to devote four hours to the coronation of King Charles III on Saturday and it caused a bit of a row in the doll yesterday with uh, people before prophet uh, Paul Murphy and Richard Boy Barrett hitting out at the broadcaster for, de- for devoting four hours of coverage uh, to it. Somebody says shame on RTE because they're not even showing the hurling game on Saturday. Cork versus Tip. You're now going to have to pay €12 euro if you want to watch it and that's our national sport. It's just shocking to think instead they're going to be showing the coronation of the uh, king. Shay says, Hi Patricia, on RTE's coverage of the coronation of King Charles, it's fine as we have far more to get from the UK than we have from the rest of the EU put together. As for RTE, it's predominantly rubbish. 98% of the stuff they put on so this coverage can't be any worse than what they usually show us, says uh, Shay. Carmel uh, says, It's a little bit like the Eurovision or the World Cup. It really is just a great big Spectacle. It's the very same as an inauguration of a president from another country that we might decide to sit down and watch. Believe me, says Carmel, many people will want to watch it and for, far more will watch it than will admit watching it, says uh, Carmel and uh, this lister says at least RT isn't showing four hours of repeats on uh, Saturday so it will be worth uh, watching Hi Patricia leave it to people before profit to cause uproar again they are a disgrace of a political party says this texter. remember they they were the ones that boycotted Joe Biden's visit yeah and they didn't go in when he was addressing the houses of the Oireachtas sure if all the government parties done that we wouldn't have any trade with different countries they really need to cop them Themselves on. Anyway, the coronation is a piece of history. Sure, it was over, over seventy years since the last one, so four hours is very small, and we will be, by watching it, you're living, you're watching living history, which is a fair enough point.
1: Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. To Cork today on C103.
2: And let me give a quick shout out to everybody at Bantry Hospital because Catherine in Ballinlock in the city was on to us to say that she was recently a patient in Bantry Hospital. And she said the staff and the care she experienced was absolutely unbelievable. She described the hospital as a five star hospital that was spotlessly clean. She wants to say well done to everybody at Bantry Hospital and to say how lucky people are to have this hospital. Also, she said the kindness, that was shown to the nurses, uh, particularly to elderly people. She thought was outstanding. Catherine was actually on holidays in Bantry when she ended up in the hospital, so she had no knowledge of the hospital before. But she's blown away uh, by how well she was looked after. So to everybody in Bantry Hospital, please take a bow. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Now yesterday we had huge reaction to a newspaper report that I referenced. It was where a senior council engineer was talking about how several roads across the county are crumbling and he said it was due to underfunding by successive governments and also due to the increasing impact of climate change. Well, Councillor Declan Hardy is chair of the Cork County Council's Road and Transportation Committee and uh, we've invited Declan to join us uh, to discuss this in more detail on the programme today. Good morning to you, Declan.
3: Good morning Patricia.
2: Now the senior engineer that I referenced yesterday was Brendan O'Gorman. Now he's responsible for roads in the Fomoy Municipal uh, District. District. but is it fair to say that his comments are reflective of what is happening to roads right across the county of Cork it's not just the, the roads that he's responsible for
3: Absolutely it can be taken looked at, at, at every division North, South and, and West and I actually welcome um, Brendan's comments because they're comments that we as elected members have been highlighting for the last number of years and as you well know this is becoming an annual discussion every year with you on the when we get our, our annual uh, roads allocations. So what Brendan is saying is the stark reality and it's as bad in South Cork and in West Cork as it is in North Cork. So certainly what Brendan uh, has outlined uh, in, in that report yesterday is, uh, is the stark reality of what we're facing with our road situation.
2: Would you agree that roads are getting worse due to the impacts of climate change and the record rainfall?
3: It's certainly not helping and I suppose maybe just to get a bit of context on this Patricia, if we look back or go back say, to 2008 we were getting somewhere in the region of 64 million as an annual allocation for our regional and local roads and they would be the roads that we travel most days to get around from, from A to B and then move on to 2016 they went to an all time low of 29,000 so from 2016 up to the current year 2023 it has come up now to 71,000 so we're just kind of back up over where we were back in 2008 so if you take that period of time um, limited funding going to our roads plus the add-on now of climate, um, uh, the, the damage that climate is, is the, the change in climate is happening in the roads, it's all impacting on a very poor and dilapidated and, and, and as Brendan uh, pointed out, a crumbling road network.
2: And do the government factor in climate change when the, they, they they're are looking at road in, allocations?
3: But, like, like all, there, there's a myriad of different um, funding um, I suppose avenue will point to Cork County Council, and there is kind of climate adaptation measures in there, but they're they're very small. They're not enough,
2: yeah, the it's,
3: greater it's, thing. And it, it looks good to have it in there, but at the end of the day, are we seeing any better roads on the ground? No, we're not.
2: Is it very frustrating for for engineers like Brendan, and indeed for all of you guys and gals as individual councillors, when you know that a road desperately needs work done? but you simply don't have the funding. Is that very frustrating?
3: It is, and I, I think the fact that the senior engineers are coming out now and, and making these remarks, I think, is, is showing the frustration at their yeah. level. At the end of the day, they can only see what money they get from central government. And if you have a debilitating uh, no road infrastructure in here, it could be impossible to keep that road or any road up the scratch. Like, so if looking at what we've lost over the years, and I think that the figure is, that if you go back and and I quote that the two thousand and eight figure compared to the two thousand and twenty three figure,
2: there's been a, a, a loss. Two. I need you to move slightly, uh-huh. Declan. Your 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 line is just fading ever so ever so slightly. Just move. Is that better, Patrick? Yeah, that's better. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, exp- I, explain that last point you made again.
3: Two thousand eight figure up.
2: Okay, we're going to have to. We have a problem here with um, Declan's line. Where where I we're going to have to um, uh, let Declan go wherever he, ever the area he's in, the line is just uh, dropping out. Anyway, um, I just wanted to bring him on there just to see the points that we rose, we brought up yesterday. Was he was he and the other councillors feeling very the very same way? And he very obviously is. So what we need desperately as the Brendan O'Gorman said yesterday, what we need is for an increase in funding from the central government and only time will tell if that increase in funding is going to arrive 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 I want to take a quick look at an email that we received into the programme this morning to Cork Today at c103.ie and this ties in with something I spoke about it was last week we were talking about the spring bonus the 200 euro that was paid to various social welfare recipients and it was paid out across last week and last Friday in the main was when a lot of pensioners received the 200 euro and on Monday we had a call in from a listener wondering if there were two pensioners in the house would they get two 200 euro spring bonuses and I was saying if it happened with, say, the Christmas bonus. I assumed that both people would get the 200 euro. Um, And then when I looked on citizens' information, it looked like, no, it was going to be one payment per household. And I read out the piece that I had found out on my research on citizens' information. But then I got a number of texts in from listeners saying, no, Patricia, you're wrong. In our household, two pensioners and we both received the 200 euro spring bonus. So to the people who hadn't received it, I was saying you need to check it out to find out why you, one household got it and your household didn't get it. Well, I got a, an email in from someone who doesn't want their name mentioned, which is fine. Sis. Hi, Patricia. I'd like to bring to your attention the spring bonus paid by the government. The government paid this bonus to several eligible people. Last week, and I was expecting this payment as I am a pensioner. To my surprise, it didn't arrive into my account. I telephoned to the Department of Social Welfare in Sligo, spoke to a gentleman in the relevant department who was extremely helpful. He told me I was one of thousands who didn't receive the 200 euro payment as I was living with another recipient i.e. my husband and only one of us would receive the payment The gentleman told me he was only aware of this occurrence in the last few days So, says this emailer we were misled by the government in their published list of people who were to receive the spring bonus payment I really would appreciate it if you would highlight this on your uh, programme So there's somebody who spoke directly with the Department of social protection who says no it was only one payment per household but we certainly had texts in last Friday to say that there were pensioners two pensioners in one house and both received it so I don't know is it to do with the eligibility for the old age pension if uh, somebody is applying as on their own and they get a separate pension. But that's not making sense because obviously this, this this particular lady has her own old age pension. It isn't that one pension is paid that covers both the husband and wife. I can understand how there would be one payment made, one €200 Euro payment made there if there was only one payment coming into the household. But in this particular case, there's two separate payments coming in, but only one Uh, got it Uh, anyway we'll get on maybe to citizens information to see if they can give us further uh, clarity but it looks like it's not a mistake because as I say this listener spoke to somebody at the Department of Social Protection uh, who said that there were many thousands of people who didn't receive the payment as they were living with another recipient and only one was to receive the spring bonus payment according to a new survey nearly half of asthma patients have had to forgo asthma medications for themselves are for their children because of the cost involved. To discuss the implications, I'm joined from the Asthma Society by Eilish Nicotnia, who is the CEO of the Asthma Society. Good morning, Eilish. Good morning. And you're you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose the obvious question, what are the risks of not taking your asthma medication as it was prescribed to you?
4: Yeah, so there are a number of types of asthma medication and the most important one really uh, is your uh, preventer or controller inhaler and your preventer or controller inhaler, you take daily. And that one is reducing the inflammation in your lungs that causes your asthma symptoms. You might also be prescribed a reliever inhaler. That's often the blue colored one that you would see quite often. The reliever inhaler really is only used to open up the airways. It's a short acting medication to open up your airwaves when you uh, are, are um, having difficulty breathing or you're having a coughing fit and so on so your your controller or your preventer inhaler they're referred to as both that that medication is absolutely key and if you're not taking that on a daily basis even when you feel well you're more likely ultimately for your inflammation to worsen and to end up experiencing symptoms and ultimately if you have an asthma attack asthma attacks can be fatal So anywhere between 50 and 70 people a year are dying because of their asthma. They are largely uh, preventable. The vast majority, about 90 percent of those deaths are preventable through the right treatment.
2: And all of this, uh, Eilish, is obviously down to the cost of living increases. Are the medications expensive, particularly the, the preventer that you spoke about?
4: The preventer inhaler, particularly the newer ones. So there have been great strides made in recent years when it comes to that preventer medication. Uh, and, And unfortunately, with the advances in medication are also coming increased costs. Now, ultimately, they're likely to reduce over time as medication costs tend to do. But at the moment, they're in or around 80 euro a month just for that preventer inhaler if you're on what's called a combination inhaler. They're the newly advanced ones. So you're coming in just at the same level as the ceiling for the drugs payment scheme. If you're not on a medical card uh, on which you'd only be paying your prescription charges... You're then uh, probably entitled to the drugs payment scheme, uh, and if you're entitled to that, the ceiling for that is 80 euro. So you pay up to 80 euro a month, and thereafter the government covers that cost. But unfortunately, because of the high price of your inhaler, your preventer inhaler, you're likely not to get any cover for that at all in, in under the current scheme. Yeah, and and and
2: but even at 80 euro, families who are living on very very tight budgets, you can almost understand. Why some are saying, you know, if I have to pay a high electricity bill, or I've got to go out and do the family shopping, you can almost understand why somebody's going to say, well, I'll leave that eighty euro I can spend somewhere else.
4: Oh, absolutely! You can understand it from a financial point of view. And within the survey that we conducted, we found that almost half, forty-eight percent, of the respondents reported that they had had, uh, they were in arrears on their mortgage, their rent, utility bills, or other loan repayments in the last twelve months. And uh, about seventy percent were saying to us they're finding it difficult to make ends meet. So this is they are the the uh, people with asthma and generally actually with chronic disease. But in in this case, from our survey, we know that people with asthma are already experiencing financial difficulties and often because of their asthma. So it's really a vicious cycle. People with asthma lose on average or miss on average seven days of work a year. Uh, children with asthma miss on average 5 days of school a year now that's the average so if you are if you have other uh, diseases alongside your asthma if you have for example allergies which a large proportion of people with asthma have you're likely to to miss more and then if you have what's referred to as severe asthma then you are likely to to really have your earning potential impacted by by uh, your asthma and by the restrictions on your life and then if you're not taking your medication that's making it worse
2: is it also Eilish putting added pressure pressure on our already stretched emergency departments because I imagine if somebody gets a really bad asthma attack they may end up at the a e department
4: there's no doubt that it's putting pressure on our services so we have the fourth highest rate of hospitalisation due to asthma in Europe. We uh, Somebody with asthma is presenting to the emergency departments every four minutes because of their asthma. Uh, and that is very likely in those emergency situations. That is people who are struggling to breathe, whose lips might be turning blue, who can't stand up. Their families are terrified, they're rushing them into emergency department, which is absolutely the place to go in those circumstances. But it it may very well be, not always, I have to emphasise, but it may very well be that due to not taking their medications on a daily basis as prescribed by their GP, uh, they are are ultimately having an asthma attack. And it's important to say too that the vast majority of of, uh, deaths due to asthma are happening to people who would consider their asthma mild. That's for two reasons. First of all, because people become so used to their asthma symptoms that they believe it's normal. It's not. It's not normal to be experiencing wheezing and coughing and difficulty breathing and waking up in the night. That should not be the norm for people with asthma. But people become so used to it that they believe it is. And uh, So that's the first thing. And then the second is because those symptoms start to feel normal, then they, the often asthma patients don't believe that they're that, that they need the daily medication. And certainly, if on top of that those medications are extremely expensive, and you're choosing between your mortgage, the food on your table, or your medication, when you don't think you feel that bad, yeah. uh, you, you know, all of those ultimately end up with with putting patients at risk.
2: Yeah, it, it really is scary because I think for. I especially, I think, for people who don't suffer from ha- asthma or don't have a family member who suffer from a- asthma, a lot of people seem to think, oh, that's a childhood illness. And, you know, people, you know, a lot of people grow out of it, which, of course, a lot of people do grow out of it. But, but the reality is, as you are saying, people die from asthma every year in this country.
4: Oh, they absolutely do, and uh, and it is the the that belief of it being a childhood uh, disease, and and children growing out of it ultimately. That those myths still are very predominant in Irish society, and actually, asthma can present at any time throughout uh, throughout our lives and it is referred to as a variable disease and what what's meant by that is it can take it can it can look different in different people and it can be fine one minute and the next minute it flares up and those those flares have to be taken seriously and the disease needs to be taken seriously
2: and can it restrict a child's daily activity if uh, particularly when we're talking about uh, a, a child going mm-hmm. without their medication would that restrict the child's daily activity it
4: restricts uh, children's and, and adults' activities absolutely. And again, about seventy percent of the respondents to our survey had had uh, reported that they have they experience a limited daily activity because of their asthma. Now, the the majority of that seventy percent were saying that their their activity is not badly restricted but there was about 30% or so who said yes that they did find that their their daily activity is severely limited and so that really speaks to people's quality of life and ultimately if you're if you're under financial pressure because you can't attend work or you can't attend work because your child has asthma you know you're either impacted yourself or your child is if you have those pressures if you find that you can't get out and do the things that you want to do every day that you can't go for a walk with your family that you can't get in and have a swim well ultimately what that would suggest is that your your Mm -hmm. asthma is probably not well controlled or else you have severe asthma um but but yes all of that is going to lead to additional pressures anxiety and stress that many people with asthma report to experience
2: okay uh susie and douglas says um all asthma medication should be free. It should be treated as a long-term illness. Now, I know that's something I've spoken about many times on this programme and done interviews with yourselves at the, at the Asthma Society. It should be deemed a long-term illness, shouldn't it?
4: Oh, I mean, it, it is it is a chronic disease. It is a long-term disease. And the issue is that the, the long-term illness scheme, which was established back in the 50s, actually, um, just doesn't uh, include asthma uh, on its list of medications and, uh, um, and equipment to cover free of charge by the state. So, excuse me, actually, the Asthma Society, which is 50 years uh, old this year, wow. was established in part... To push for asthma medications to be added to the long-term illness scheme, goodness, and been fifty pushing years for that ago. For for years, yes, oh my yeah. goodness, yes, yeah, yeah. And there has been there has been no movement on that, and that is not for for a lack of trying. I can tell you, uh, every one of our pre-budget submissions every year, our conversations with various ministers have always raised this issue, this issue of the affordability of the medication, the cost in lives. Uh, and the cost to the state of not providing those medications for free. So asthma was costing the state uh, nearly half a million euro a year through uh, through missed days of work, missed days of school, and uh, and the provision of unscheduled healthcare visits as well as the scheduled visits that we very much uh, uh, encourage patients to have every six months with a GP. How common is asthma
2: in Ireland, Irish?
4: There are 380,000 people who currently have asthma. About 40,000 of those are in Cork. And it Shoot. is likely that about 890,000 people will develop asthma over their lifetime. So though that goes back to the piece. This is a lifetime um, illness across the life
2: you're breaking up slightly on us there um, Eilish yeah we've just lost we've just lost the line but it's okay I was just uh, wrapping up there with um, Eilish uh, Nikotnia, who is CEO of the Asthma Society of uh, Ireland and by the way this is Asthma Awareness Week so that's why we felt it was appropriate to speak with Eilish on the programme today particularly about that survey showing the numbers of asthma patients who just simply can't afford to buy their medication it just really isn't good enough and they're actually running a free webinar uh, this evening between 7 and uh, 8 and it's open to uh, to everyone and you can access that webinar and find out more about that webinar on asthma.ie and by the way if you are an asthma suffer? Are you have somebody in your household who has asthma? That website, I was on it yesterday in advance of Eilish uh, joining me on the programme. It really is excellent and it's got so much uh, detail and information uh, on it. If you want to check that out, asthma.ie. Thank you to Michael in uh, Castleton Bear, a man in the know explaining to us why some households with two old age pensioners got the, t- the spring bonus by two. Each pensioner in the house received the €200 and in other households there was only one €200 bonus paid to the one, just to the household. Uh, Michael says, yes, Patricia, you're correct. Old age pensioners who have their own separate pensions, i.e. where both husband husband and wife had worked and they both made their own contributions. So they both claimed an old age pension on their own stamps, as we used to call them, they then would be entitled to the 200 euro each last week. But where one is dependent on the other, where one worked, they had the contributions for the state pension and then the husband or wife is the add on to that pension. They unfortunately only receive one 200 euro spring bonus last week. And it's explained. Thank you for that, Michael. And it's summed up by Dearma. Dearmouth says, I worked for years while my wife worked at home. And well done for acknowledging at Dearmut that she worked and worked hard at home. She spent hours looking after our children. We could never avail of any kind of grant. We were never entitled to anything when we were sending our children to school. I remember my wife knitting the jumpers uh, for their school uniforms. However, when it came to the €200 Euro spring bonus and indeed any of the other bonuses over the years, she's never received the uh, them. We feel is due to the fact that she wasn't out working and didn't have enough contributions yet she worked and worked hard in the home. She feels like she's invisible. Isn't that really sad? That is really, really uh, sad. And somebody else, and I did look into this last week's, who is on a half carers, an old age pension and a half carer's. Some of them thought that they were entitled uh, to the 200 euro for both the pension and for the carer. That wasn't the case. I get a half carer half-carer's allowance along with my old-age pension and I just got the one spring bonus. I was expecting to get the €200 on both the pension and on the carer's but I didn't. Uh, I felt that when the department announced the list of social welfare recipients calling out carers and pensioners, that was misleading information. And what would you expect from them? Thank you for your information, uh, Patricia. Yeah, we did look into that. There was a number of people who have, have an OAP contributing pension and a half carers, but they only got the one 200 euro uh, bonus last week. 0818103103. I need to take a break. A lot of commentary coming in about the coronation and uh, should or should not RTE be showing it. We know they're devoting four hours of coverage to it on Saturday. Some people are very happy with it, others are not. We'll take a look at those calls and comments coming in afternoons at 11.
1: Court Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot I-E.
2: Thank you to our listeners who constantly keep us up to date with any new scams or popular scams that are doing the rounds. Two calls in uh, today, Martin and Line has been on to say he received a text claiming to be from Electric Ireland. The text said that his payment for whatever reason couldn't be taken this month and because of that his electricity was going to be cut off as a result. We should put the fear of God in you and then asked him to click on the link. He knew immediately it was a scam. So beware of that and that, that could, they could change Electric Ireland to any other provider but the fact that they'll go with Electric Ireland is because, what is it 1.1 million households have accounts with Electric Ireland so they're banking on the person that they text does have an account with Electric Ireland so be wary of that one. And then Carmel in Kinsale was on to say a warning please of a new scam text that Carmel received for the first time yesterday evening. She got a text message saying, hi mum, I've just smashed my phone I'm texting you from a friend's number can you give me a call back please on this number. Now Carmel straight away says, "Got suspicious, I knew something wasn't right because all of my adult children have partners so I knew, gut instinct told me that if something had happened to their phones, they'd be out with their partners and then they'd call me from their partner's phone they wouldn't call me from a random stranger's uh, number. So I rang my daughter immediately, she said ma'am that's a scam don't call them back. So I didn't the plan would be you call them back, they look for money um, that you send on to the new phone number and you give them your bank details and all of that and it is a scam and normally Carmel what happens is because obviously if you rang the number and your son or daughter wasn't on the other end of the line you get suspicious normally what happens is when you try to ring you can't get through and there's a follow up text saying oh there's something wrong with the phone I can't hear you I can't get through I need you to send on and then they'll ask it to either click on a link or send on details or send on money that's how that particular scam uh, works so be careful of that if you get anything from claiming to be from a son or a daughter ring your son or daughter on the phone that you know the phone number you know and trust but uh, never when you get something like that from an unknown number. Well spotted, uh, Carmen, and thank you for alerting us to it. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three on conditions of our roads. Now I don't know where this text is coming from, but a listener says, Patricia, the roads around here where I live they're all broken up, and it's down to heavy haulage trucks mainly from the forestry that have the roads uh, destroyed and then Mary said could you ask please do the engineers ever go out and check the work after the potholes have been done on our county roads they're just terrible Also, is anybody out checking the hedges? They also need to be cut back where we can't cut at the moment but it's almost impossible to keep cars on the roads these days, says uh, Mary because of the condition of our roads. And then a huge amount of commentary uh, to do with the coronation and the fact that RTE have decided to provide four hours of coverage of of the coronation next uh, Saturday on RTE and this was kicked off by the People Before Profit hitting out at RTE and saying that they shouldn't be broadcasting the carnation of Britain's Prince Charles where Paul Murphy in the event is a very obvious attempt to rehabilitate the monarchy uh, in both in the UK and across the world. OK, some of the comments coming in. Somebody says, why can't people watch it on the other English television stations? All of them will be showing it. Why does RTE need to show it says this texter? And Leo jumping to the monarch's defence yesterday that's Leo Varad could just be nice I read he and the president are invited that they are well it's all world leaders from all over the world are invited and uh, I think the majority of them are going Then someone else says Patricia why, don't, why do people get so excited over something as simple as RTE showing the coronation? fair play to rt for showing it. We're we going to be watching the Eurovision next week and there's nobody shouting or giving out about that. And that's coming from Liverpool, isn't it, next uh, week? And then Jackie is in Tupot House, very excited. She is a British expat. She said, I'll be glued to the TV on Saturday. But lots of people like to follow royal events in Ireland. The anti-British Brigade, they're entitled to their opinion, but they need to accept that not everyone agrees with them. And there's a lot of people very excited and a lot of people looking forward to watch it on uh, Saturday, John says no way. Well, I watch our tea on Saturday. John's plan for Saturday: he's going out for a pint. You'll have to go out early because I think it's eleven o'clock, isn't it? It's starting, and then he's going to come home and he's going to turn on C103. Why? Because the Cork Tip match is going to be on. And yes, we are broadcasting the Cork Tip match live on C103. There's a lot of people actually talking about the Cork Tip Tip match, including Stephen in Upper Glenmire. A disgrace showing four hours of the coronation when they're not going to sh- show the cork tip hurling match. Gerrith uh, says, will there be many people actually watching it on Saturday? I think it's wrong to show this after what the royal family did to Ireland over the years. It will be shown on the British TV channel. So why do RTE need to show it? it will be more in RTE's line to show. The Cork-Tipperary hurling match. And Liam in Glenmire says, I imagine RTE would have very low viewership figures on Saturday morning if they didn't decide to show it. So they'll be higher now. Um, and also bear in mind they'll be taking an an international feed they'll probably be taking a feed I think it's the BBC is giving the feed to all of the other different TV companies from around the world so there won't be a huge cost involved outside of their production team here because somebody were talking about how much is it costing because somebody said is it true it's costing uh, 100 million it's costing 100 million pounds but that's what it's costing in the UK to stage the coronation that's not what it's costing RTE and I think Lehman Glamire is right there isn't going to be a huge amount of money that RT have to pay for them. I imagine they'll have to pay for the rights to show up, but I don't think it's going to be an excessive sum of money Helena in Mitchelstown she says I think people will watch The Coronation on Saturday for the very same reason that people watch reality TV shows and figures are very high viewership figures are very high for reality TV shows she feels the coronation is something similar people will want to see what are the ladies wearing what are the men wearing who will be attending. Everyone will be looking out to see what will the antics be like between Harry and William and Harry and the rest of the family. Yes it does not affect us but it's like looking into somebody's front room we're intrigued. So people will watch it said Helena in in a Shannon. Nothing to do with history. It's nothing to do with the union it's nothing to do with the monarchy. It's all to do with human interest in how the royal family will control this event so I'm assuming Helena you're going to sit down and watch it on uh, Saturday and Mary in Mallow says I'm delighted that Showing the coronation. How many Irish went to the UK over the years? They were fed and watered in Britain. So a lot of people have links to. To the UK, so why not show it? 0818 103 103, a sample of some of your calls and texts coming in about RT deciding to show the carnation and the bit of a hoo ha and the bit of the royal rumble that went on in the door yesterday. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103
1: 103. C103 Jobs.
2: The Johallo Community Food Services in Newmarket, so they're looking for a full time chef for their busy food centre. CVs please to linda.o'connor at ie. Full and part-time bar persons are wanted for the White Horse in Balancolic. CVs to careers at whitehorse.ie Blackpool Autos. They've got vacancies for a full and part-time mechanic. Now they're also looking for an apprentice transport. at. Uh, sorry, they're also looking for an apprentice and transport is available from Mallow. Call 87 2182 And a kitchen assistant is required to work Mondays. It's in a canteen in Vandham. Now experience in food prep, in cleaning, in washing up as well as service and cash handling, all required. Emails please to kccatering at hotmail.com. You'll find all the details of the jobs that I've just announced and more job opportunities if you go online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103.
1: Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
2: Bantry Credit Union is hosting a public information meeting on retrofitting your home. It's at the Maritime Hotel in Bantry tomorrow night, kicking off at 7. Now, the guest speaker tomorrow night is Colum Tynan, who is Programme Leader in Sustainable Energy Engineering. At Southeast Technological University. And delighted to say, Column has taken time out to join us on the programme this morning. Good morning to Column. Hi, Patricia. You're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, with the high cost of electricity, has there never been a better time for all of us to think about retrofitting our homes?
5: Oh, definitely. Now, hopefully, the price of electricity is going to start to come down, but um, I don't think we'll ever see it return to the to the original price of maybe about 20 cent per unit. I think we're at about 40 now, but it should start to come down, but it's going to only ever in the future head upwards again. You know what I mean? Prices uh, are always rising um, year on year. So now is is the best time probably to for people to really think about retrofitting their home, whether it's from a an electrical point of view, putting in maybe something like solar panels or maybe looking at trying to reduce their heating bills by maybe thermally insulating their homes.
2: Now, I, I love the way you sort of have a plan where you break it down into three different uh, levels. You call it the three levels of home greenification. And, and, and some of them are particularly on the, the first uh, level, um, what you describe as small wins. There are things we could all do that isn't going to cost a lot of money.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, advice I always give to people is, first of all, look at how much energy you're already using and maybe benchmark yourself off kind of the the national average. So, for instance, for electricity, the average usage in Ireland is 4,200 units per year. So look at your bills for the last year and see, am I above or below that? And if you're above it, think to yourself, well, why am I above it? What am I doing wrong in my house? Have I got extra fridges plugged in? Am I leaving outside lights on all night? Um, do I have things on standby? Or maybe some of my appliances are outdated. Maybe they're an, a, a C or a D rated appliance, a fridge I might have for 25 years. Maybe it's time to consider upgrading it. Um, so th- so that's kind of the, the thing. The same on the heat side. I mean, the average amount of, of gas that houses burn in Ireland is is about 11,000 units, or if you're burning oil, maybe about 1,100 liters per year. So if you're burning more than that, well, then your house is not very efficient. So that's the first thing. F- simple steps you might take then might be, think about your light bulbs. So if you have old style light bulbs, um, maybe think about using LEDs, um, look in your attic. Do you have insulation in your attic? Uh, because that's a simple fix to get insulation in. Look at a lagging jacket on, on your hot water cylinder. If it's not there, well, maybe buy one or maybe get a new cylinder. And then other simple things like turning down the thermostats on your heating system, uh, getting your boiler serviced, um, because that'll increase the efficiency of it. And maybe putting uh, a door in front of your fireplace. So if you've an open fire, uh, it's very inefficient. It only uh, releases about 30% of the heat into the room and the other 70% goes up the chimney. But if you put a fire door on the front of it or take it out and put in a stove, you can you can dramatically increase that efficiency, maybe up to 50, 60 or 70 yeah, percent with some stoves.
2: And then depending and then on, on how old your house is, uh, some people who are living in older houses can have a lot of drafts. We all need to sort of look at reducing drafts in our homes.
5: Yes. So I suppose that's the key. When you go to doing a, a, our investing money in, a, in, a, in an actual thermal upgrade is that, the first thing is to, is to look at the building itself and the fabric or the walls uh, and trying to improve the term improve the thermal performance of that by maybe adding insulation. But there's no use just improving the insulation and not addressing all the drafts that might be in your house because a lot of the heat will just escape with the warm air leaving and being replaced by cold air coming in. So So we do have to look at that as well. Now, it can be difficult sometimes to identify some of the drafts, but... If you get, if you have a lot of drafts in your house, probably the best thing to do is to employ uh, an energy consultant who might bring along a blower door test kit, and he pressurizes your house, and therefore he he kind of um, uh, increases the draft almost artificially, but it allows you then to find where they are, um, and then you know where you actually have to try and seal up. And in older houses, very often it's windows, maybe that the, the 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 seals are gone on the window or maybe there's no seals at all and we can put new seals in and if necessary we can replace the windows but but you don't always have to replace windows if they're not if they're less than 15 years old very often we may not have to replace them Uh, we might just have to make um, put in new seals around the the openings, yeah, uh, and, and the front and, doors uh, notorious as well for being drafty.
2: Yeah, and it can make a huge difference. I mean, you mentioned insulating the attic, and I think everybody is aware of how important that is. But there's also now it's probably a, a bigger investment, but insulating the external walls of our of our houses.
5: Yeah, so I suppose <clears throat> it's it's kind of the next step after you've had the the small wins. So really, um. If you want to move towards, first of all, maybe we will go back. The government have a, a plan to upgrade half a million homes to what they call a B2 energy standard by 2030. That's their ambition. Now, they've been very slow or we've been very slow to to, to move in that direction. But, <clears throat> um, but there is a small amount of traction and it should accelerate as, as we move along. So the first step in doing that is to thermally insulate your house. And and obviously the biggest uh, elements that you're gonna lose heat through are first of all, the attic and then your external walls. Um, And you've three options with your external walls. You can either uh, insulate internally, which is very disruptive to the house because we effectively have to take everything off the walls, including uh, radiators and uh, your kitchen units and your bath and your toilet and so on um, to do it. Or you can do it externally Or if you have a cavity, we can get the cavity wall pumped. Now, very often we would pump the cavity first and then maybe add external insulation as well if we wanted to get to an A-rated house when we're finished. Um, But there's, there's different methods for different houses. I suppose another piece of advice is if you have a really old house is that it's very important that you get good guidance because there are only certain types of insulation should be used on old stone type houses um, because if you use some of the more modern synthetic insulations, it can lead to mould growth and condensation. Which is is the last thing you want.
2: Yeah, a listener wants to know uh, about replacing an old uh, boiler. She has a boiler that's over 20 years old and somebody said to her that um, it's it's burning more oil because it's an an old boiler. Is that true?
5: Yes. So if, you've a, if you have an old boiler, um, they're, they're what we call just a standard, I don't know, as oil or gas, but, but they probably are maybe only around 70 to 75% efficient. Where the newer boilers um, are what they call condensing boilers. Um, so they condense the energy that's going up in, in the flue gases. Um, and they, uh, or sorry, they condense the water vapor in the flue gases and, and take the energy back out of it. And those boilers are over 90 percent efficient, so you can you can have a uh, a quite dramatic saving there uh, of over fifteen percent instantaneously by by changing to one of those newer oil condensing boilers um, okay. and if you weren't going to do a thermal upgrade um, it should always if you're going to do a boiler upgrade only without uh, insulating your house well then don't ever put in a heat pump um, you might we might talk about that in a minute but If we're not going to do a thermal upgrade and we're just going to replace the boiler, try and replace it with a similar boiler, but make sure it's a condensing boiler.
2: Okay, talk to me about solar panels. Uh, Ben is interested in solar panels, but says we don't get a lot of sunshine. Are they really worth the money?
5: Yes. So, first of all, we do get a lot of sunshine. (laughs) And you don't need to have sunshine, believe it or not, uh, for solar panels to work. We just need to have clear skies okay so it doesn't have to be really sunny we just need to have a clear blue sky so a clear blue sky on a day when it's not even that warm will generate quite a lot of, of solar energy and we can produce as much solar energy uh, or electricity from solar energy here in, in ireland as they can across all of northern europe across germany across northern france and so on um, and they've been using them over there for years Um they they're they're great i suppose the, the one thing that you have to think about with, with solar panels, when when I'm talking about solar panels, now I'm talking about the solar photovoltaic panels, so they produce electricity, is that they tend to produce most of it in the middle of the day because that's when, the, when it's brightest.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And if we're not in our house at that time of the day, well, then we can't really utilize it unless we have a battery or if we're willing to sell it back to the energy supply company uh, that we buy our electricity from. They will buy it off us now at a discounted price. They won't pay you the same as you buy your electricity, um, but they will give so you which, maybe half. So which
2: that value. is which is better? Sell it back or buy a battery and energy storage
6: system? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
5: Well, I would think a battery is the best option because then you're you're storing the energy to use in the evening time. Um, better, so yeah, better
2: value in the money. long
5: run. In the in the long run, you're, it's going to be better value, um, and there it are, might be more expensive at the start.
2: But there, but there are um, decent grants available at the moment, Colin.
5: Yes, there are now. There's, there's loads of different grants, um, and it, if it's for insulation. I suppose it depends on whether you're in a detached house, a semi-detached house, or a tourist house. There are different values for each individual grant. Um, but for solar panels, there for solar PV panels, there is a, a grant of, they, it's it's on a sliding scale. For the first two kilowatts, you will get 900 euro per kilowatt that you install. Uh, and then you get a smaller amount for the third kilowatts. So I think you can get about... I think it's 2,400 euro. I think it might be 200 or 2,400 in total that you can get, um, which is which is significant enough because it, to get in a system, most people would put in, say, between a three kilowatt system and a five kilowatt system. And a, a five kilowatt system would cost around 10,000 euro. And then if you put a battery with it, maybe about €13,000 and you're going to get 2400 back. So, you're about €10,000 investment for for a good system that will pro- provide most of your electricity for the year. Yeah,
2: that's um, good. That, that, that and, is good. You mentioned heat packing, a, a heat pump, and you, and you said you would uh, return to it. One of the criticisms I've heard of heat pumps is that they, they're quite costly to
5: run. Yes. So, th- I suppose, again... They're costly to run if your house is not well insulated. Yeah. So, um, so the the problem is that some people fall into the trap of installing a heat pump before they do all the thermal upgrades on their house. So they don't insulate their house and they don't uh, reduce all the drafts sufficiently. So you really need to move your house from wherever it is, whether it's a an E, a D, or a C rated house, up to at least a B two on the BER scale and even better if you could get it into an A3 rated house before you would put in your heat pump and the reason being is that these houses are super insulated and therefore they require very little heat and when you put the heat into them they don't lose heat very quickly so the heat pump doesn't have to work that hard to keep it warm and therefore the operational costs are much less or if you have a drafty house that's poorly insulated and you put a heat pump into it the heat pump is running nonstop yeah, yeah, yeah. and therefore it's used drawing electricity. It's almost like a heat pump is the same as a fridge, but it's working in reverse. So if you left the door of your fridge open all the time, your electricity bill would be quite high you because your fridge would be running nonstop.
2: OK, and for anybody considering going down this road, it's getting the correct advice, isn't it, Colm, is the most important?
5: That is the most important. It's kind of the golden rule that don't start putting money into something that you don't know uh, what you're doing. So get advice and you can get advice. Advice is reasonably cheap in in the big scheme of things. I mean, you can get a a proper energy survey and a report on your house done for somewhere between 400 and 700 euro typically. Um, And and they will give you a, a full breakdown They'll come and they'll survey your house. They'll probably do an air pressure test on your house. They may use a thermal imaging camera to find where the, the big, um, the thermal bridges where the heat is leaking out. Um, and then they'll write a report for you and they'll give you advice as to what you should do next. So okay. that's the first step, really get good advice and then you know where you should put your money first. It, it can be expensive. So not everybody would be able to do a full retrofit in one go. Um, so it's important to think to do a whole house. You could be talking anywhere between 30,000 euro up to 70,000, 80,000 euro, depending on the size of the house and the age of the house, to do a full, deep retrofit. But there's no reason that you couldn't do the attic and then do the walls and then do the windows and so on, step by step. Do one it in year stages. Do
2: it in stages. OK. All right, listen. Yeah. Your now comment- there,
5: could I just say that yeah. there's one little golden rule associated with that as well is that you can only get a grant for, one, for, for walls once and for attic once. So if you draw a grant for the, for the, for the attic, Make sure that you upgrade it to your B2 standard because if you come back and look for additional money to put more insulation in the attic, you'll say, No, you got that already, you can't get it again.
2: Okay, that's a good caveat. Okay, so you're coming to Bantry tomorrow night. Will there be opportunities to ask questions after your presentation, Colm?
5: Of course there will, great. yeah. I'd be delighted great. to talk to anyone who's
2: there. Great. OK, listen, Colm, thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for pleasure. joining us. And I'm going to go to Finbar O'Shea, who is the manager of uh, Bantry Credit Union, who are organising the Retrofitting Your Home event uh, tomorrow night. Uh, good morning, Finbar.
7: Good morning, Patricia. Uh, he's
2: a great talker, Colm. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting night tomorrow night. What format is the night taking?
7: So, as you say, he is a great talker. And one of the great things about Colm, who we've worked with for about two years now in a a group of credit unions, is and you had it this morning, his ability to explain in plain English what is a complex and and so many of the cotton in the fog. But to get to the event... Uh, there are three parts to the event. Patricia. So the central part of it is a talk by Colum. So there will be an hour with Colum, about 45 minutes of his uh, talk for the meeting, and then a Q&A with the with, with the people attending for about 15 minutes. The second part of the evening is a panel discussion. So after, we're moving on from 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 Colum being the generalist into local people who are providers to the retrofit to the retrofit industry. So we have four people. Uh, one of whom is Rory Kaye from Durrus. And Rory is exactly the kind of person that Colin mentioned at the very end of your piece within there around the advisor. So Rory's an architectural technologist. He has a business called Retrofurb and he provides specialist retrofit services. So he's again a generalist, I suppose, and an advisor. And on the panel with him, we have three local providers of the three, I suppose, main aspects, three out of the four main aspects of the retrofit journey. And I take these in the sequence in which Colum explains them as well. So in terms of installation, as Column has explained to us, you will always start there. So the person who's talking to us and is there to ask questions on installation is a man called John O'Shea. John is from Bantry. He worked with West Cork of Partnerships, the Better Energy Warmer Home Scheme pre-COVID. So lots of people will know that scheme and will know John. He now works for the company in Cork called SC Systems. So he's on installation. The second person uh, on the heating systems will be Glenview Heating. Glenview Heating, again, a lot of people will know, is a, is a major heating and plumbing contractor uh, in Adrigold, actually run by my own namesake, Finbar Rocher. Okay. And one of his team, Cliff O'Reardon, will be on the heating. And the third person on the panel is Kiran uh, O'Mahony who has his own business as well here in West Park called Q Solutions. Kiran is a bantry man and he will talk about solar panels. Um, the third aspect to the event is a mini trade show. So um, those people, but other providers as well to the industry, will be in the room taking stands. So we'll have BER assessors, window and door suppliers, insulation providers, uh, solar panel providers and heating specialists. They'll all be in the room um, uh, you know, and they're just to talk on a one It's It's
2: a complete one-stop shop.
7: Well, exactly it. I mean, yeah. uh, not, not not to go plug in the credit union too much. That's not what this is about. But that's the role we see. I mean, because the, there's such a such confusion in this space, mm. people never know where to start. So that's what we started with this idea of the ideas. That, you know, bringing the providers together. We're bringing the expert in terms of column together, and then we're just giving the people an opportunity to meet these people and, and talk to them.
2: Yeah, and you know, and it was one of the points I, I, that I really want to call him to point out and he pointed out very, very clearly. Knowledge is king on when, when you're going down this route of retrofitting your home because, you know, you, you've got to get it right and get it right first time.
7: Well, exactly that. And if I could go back even two years and, and not to get too, too local about it, but when a uh, group of credit unions set up what's called the Greenify, um, Green, uh, call it a retrofit uh, loan product, we uh, did a program, a training program with Cullum And that's essential because the people who are now going to be providing this finance have to have some knowledge themselves. Mm. Cullum talked about the don'ts. As well as the dues. And it's very important that people in my role understand that as well. Uh, so, if somebody's coming in and, for instance, they want to, uh, they're talking about getting uh, their windows changed. Well, three or four years ago, we would have just said, yeah, that's fine, we process the loan. Now, we have, we're have, we armed with the knowledge, as you've said, we're armed with the knowledge to say to them, well, now maybe windows isn't where you should start.
2: Well done, well done, well done, well done. Okay, and it's open to everyone. Not, or is it just members of Bantry Credit no, Union? Open to everyone. Either.
7: very quick on that one you're right no it's open to everybody it's a public meeting there is no admission charge Uh, there'll be teas and coffees when the doors open at 7 o'clock and if I can say one last thing uh, in order to get people into the spirit of it we'll have a raffle on the night the first prize in this raffle is a free BER assessment so we will be paying for the BER assessment of one person who is in attendance but in order to be in the chance of winning the first prize people have to register in advance now there's no requirement to register to attend everybody can turn up but if somebody wants to have an opportunity to win this first prize, they just go onto um and and just register uh, just their name and and and, and it's as simple
2: as that. Okay, and the wonderful Siobhan Cronin, editor of the Southern Star, will be keeping you all on your toes because uh, oh. she'll be doing the she'll be chairing the panel.
7: Well, okay. well actually, sorry, if I could, sorry, I should have mentioned earlier, Siobhan has had to withdraw. Oh, I'm sorry, Siobhan okay. has had to withdraw. Uh, so, so I i, I I'll be doing the. End oh, thing. Yeah, no. and, and
2: you're you're very capable, Finbar. You're very capable. All right, listen, good luck with that uh, tomorrow night in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry between 7 and 10. And thank you uh, for taking time out to talk to us today, Fimber.
7: Thank you very much, Patricia.
2: Good morning to you, Fimba Roche, Manager of Bantry Credit Union. And before that, we had uh, Colum Tynan, Programme Leader in Sustainable Energy Engineering at the Southeast Technological University that was formerly the WIT. Uh, and he will be the guest speaker tomorrow night. Now, as part of the anniversary tour celebrating 20 years of the Everyman Sunday songbook, the show is coming to the Glen Theatre in Bantier on Saturday week, the 13th of May to preview the show. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by legendary broadcaster and actor Alf McCarthy Good morning to you Alf
8: Good morning Patricia I love the idea legendary <laughs> Oh cool i put that on my TV You can of
2: course <laughs> Now this show is the swinging 60s Outline what people yeah. can expect
8: Well i tell you what we can expect You'll expect fun uh, great music Uh, The thing about the shows that we do, everybody knows the songs and we do encourage people to sing along uh, and get into the spirit of it. And the 60s, of course, swinging 60s, you, you say swinging 60s, people know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about London. In the early 60s, you're talking about Carnaby Street. You're talking about the King's Road. You're talking about new fashion. Uh, Mary Quant who passed away yeah. only last week yeah. uh, she invented the mini skirt and I say thank you Mary Quant <laughs> for all of that <laughs> uh, Vidal Sassoon created all these new hairstyles up to then you know post-war Britain it was short back in sides Uh, We had that in Ireland up to the mid 70s, I think. Anyway, so like it was a time of color and of excitement and of great music and great bands. And what we do in our show is try and capture a little bit of that. Um, We've kind of mentioned before that if we're doing a show about the 60s, we could do at least 10 different shows about the 60s. But what we're concentrating on is Kind of the Beatles story, and then you throw in Tom Jones and Silla Black and Dusty Springfield and Sandy Shaw and all these people, and we just have fun, Patricia, you know.
2: And as you say, it is songs that everybody knows,
8: yeah. Um, you want me to list them? <laughs> no, no, no. But, but it's well, just. It's, you know, if you take a few of the Beatles ones, you know, we, yeah. we do the early ones like uh, She Loves You, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, Alan Carney, who is our musical director, does a lovely version of Hey Jude. Uh, and that leads up into a big kind of sing along, you know. Uh, we do obla oh, Obladee. Oh, yeah. They're just some of the Beatles. But then at the same time, we're doing Tom Jones. Uh, we do Delilah, and we do um who else dusty springfield always something's always there to remind to me. me Stella black uh, shirley Bassey, of course doing goldfinger and Linda Kenny wraps her tonsils around that one uh it's a showstopper um but it, yeah and, and as i say people know the audience and the beautiful beauty of these shows is that cahill mccabe who writes and directs them also peppers it with uh, images from that time and we have clips from movies and clips from tv shows uh and what can I say? Sounds it's wonderful.
2: And, and then and you're there as the narrator, obviously, you're telling the story yeah. of the time. Yeah. Is that it? Is that how it works? Yeah.
8: yeah, exactly. That's how it works. I mean, when they started 20 years ago, Michael Toomey, God rest him, was uh. the MC. Uh, and that was in the uh, Everyman Theatre in Cork. It was Sunday night at the at the Everyman. And the songs, the music at that time was kind of Percy French. Uh, it was Nelson Eddy, Jeanette MacDonald. Um, you know, music of that ilk. When I came on board then, Cahill said, well, we'll do something different. So we kind of explored how I can use my, you mentioned being an actor, how I can use my talents there. So as a result of that, I just have fun. (laughs) They let me lose Patricia, which is great. Uh, And the audience, like audience participation is what it's all about. And
2: and whatever, you know, whatever it is about the music of the 60s, it appeals to so many people of all ages. I mean, I I have, I have a young niece who is barely 20 and she's a, Huge fan of the Beatles.
8: So we'll be seeing her on the night. Is that what you're telling us? Patricia?
2: <laughs> but you know what I mean. It, it, yeah. it just the sixties. You know, I I don't know if the same can be said of music of the eighties or the nineties. But whatever it is about the well, 60s, I tell you,
8: yeah, I, I was doing discos during the eighties, and I hated that music because it was all uh, it was all computerized. It was the start of you know, boom, 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 boom on, you know, no real instruments. Um, some of the music was great at that time. But when you say the 60s, nearly every song was an, an iconic tune, you know? Yeah, and people um, know
2: it and will be able to sing along, which is what you're encouraging people exactly. to do. Exactly.
8: Uh, and- the other side of that is that for some of the songs, we project the lyrics onto a screen as well, you know? um so like they have no excuse really basically <laughs> um we've been to the Glen theater before it's a lovely oh it's a lovely little theater um and we, we like before that we did um the vera lynn show we did the Chauvin show band mm. show uh, so the 60s springy 60s kind of fits nicely into that uh category and you know um, we'll have fun doing it. You
2: and know? I don't know if any of the gang have been there since the start, but I mean the fact that this is the the twentieth uh, anniversary of this show, yeah. they, they could never have realised what they were starting 20 years ago, that they, oh, they'd God, still no. be at it 20 uh, years later.
8: Uh, Linda, Linda and Damien were on the Gayburn Show. I don't know whether you'd remember Patricia Gayburn used to organise a musical and he would get people sending in tapes from all over the country. They would then have auditions and if you'd like, they'd have an all-Ireland cast yeah. of putting on the Gayburn Show musical.
6: Yeah,
8: uh, The man who was producing at that time was Cahill McCabe. Uh, working with Kevin Hawk um, and between them, they would put on the shows. So Linda met Damien there. uh, She met Cahill there. And out of that sprang the idea of doing the things, the shows in the Everyman in Cork. Incredible. Now, when Michael Chukmi passed away about six years ago, I was asked what i like to join. So I'm the newbie on the block in a sense. Um, And Alan Carney is there about two years before me. So... As a result, we have a lovely team where we're up for anything in a sense. Uh, we've got about 14 shows that we can do instantly I mean later on this year we're going to be doing Neil Diamond but the one we're concentrating on at the moment is the uh, Swinging 60s,
2: 60s okay you know? and it's for one night only at the Glen Theatre in Bantier yeah. Saturday week yeah. uh, May the 13th and uh, tickets are available from the Glen Theatre in Bantier, 029 Alf we wish you luck and enjoy it and I know I be- and I can see how excited you are about it it's not work <laughs> at all I'm always excited so in- Enjoy but that would be it. the medication that would be <laughs> the medication <Priscilla, laughs> as you well known <laughs> listen thanks a million we'll talk again soon take care Bye-bye. Bye-bye. bye 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 the wonderful Alstom McCarthy still getting in commentary about the coronation on Saturday and this Rumble that started in the Dáil uh, yesterday when some of the people before Profit uh, TDs called out RTE and uh, said that they shouldn't be showing it. And they uh, hit out on the fact that RTE will be devoting four hours on Saturday to the royal event and I know we had uh, Paul Murphy and Richard Boy Barrett uh, both uh, saying that most Irish people don't believe in kings, queens and monarchy and their inherited power and privilege, uh, particularly when it's associated with the empire and colonialism and that RTE shouldn't be showing it. Bill in Clannacilty said, is it not time that we all got over our bitterness towards the UK and the monarchy and simply bury the hatchet and enjoy life and just get on with it? Bill in makes the point there's so much misery in the world at the moment. We've just survived a pandemic. We've come through COVID. We've got a war in Ukraine. Let's have happiness rather than a bitterness. While Anne Marie, thanks for that, Bill. Anne Marie by WhatsApp says, I agree with showing the coronation as we share a land border with the UK. And we also have to remember we have many, many British expats living in this country who pay their RTE TV licence, for whom this coronation will be a major event. Equally, a coronation makes history. And this date will be learnt about in schools in the UK from now on. I know quite a lot of people who plan to watch the event and likewise one major Irish bookshop chain advised that Majesty magazine has a significant readership in Ireland so like it or not Irish people are interested in the royal family. In fact the Nanonagle Centre in Cork tells the story of Princess Di who through her son William, Prince of Wales will play a major part on Saturday was related to Cork heroine Nanonagle. so we have a local connection to some of those who will be sent to stage on Saturday. Meanwhile if anyone is opposed to watching the coronation guess what there's an on off button on your TV others will choose differently thanking you that's very level headed from Anne-Marie thanks for that Anne-Marie and of course RTE are right to air the coronation says the texter it'll entertain so many people and remember a lot of Irish people worked in uh, England someone else says RTE show too much rubbish all year round it's only all ads and it's so sad they're not even showing the cork tip match. And just by the way on the Cork tip match uh, Dan points out that the Cork tip match is sold out um, and he says shame on RT for not showing it. John Paul is pointing out to me that it isn't up to RT, it's up to the GAA who they decide who's going to show a match and who's not going to watch a match. Uh, but Dan is also annoyed with the GAA uh, because it's sold out. He would, if he wants to watch it he's got to pay GAA go and they charge 12 euro to watch the match, a match and he says many older people don't have the tech facility to do that either so he is very very upset about it. Let me go back to the carnation. Who's on uh 2? John is on 2 and Joan is on 1. Let me go to uh John first. Um uh, good afternoon, John. Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. You're as you pay your TV license and therefore you're not happy about RT showing it on Saturday. Sorry president,
9: does it just interference the line I can
2: Is there? Hear it. I'm I'm saying you as a license payer. Yeah do not feel RTE should be showing the coronation?
9: No, I do not indeed. I believe that, um, number one, we're the Irish Republic. We fought to get our Republic. Um, I can't understand why the state broadcaster, who has got no permission, uh, I mean, from the licence payers who consider themselves Republican, is uh, to to actually show this. They're going against those people's wishes. I can't understand... I mean, how anyone that calls themselves an Irish Republican Britisher could actually sit down and actually look at this and then look in the mirror and call themselves a Republican?
2: But you're not being asked to to swear allegiance to the king. It's it's a bit of it's it's. Could you not just see it as some light entertainment?
9: Um, well, the thing is, I mean, I think it's more than that. I think the history between us. It's one thing when the Queen came here. I mean, she came to visit our country and there was coverage, obviously, then. But I mean, to actually a lot of time by the state broadcaster uh, to watch a coronation of a foreign king who at one stage, can I mean, oppressed this country and their whole regime and their empire. And to keep pe- the state broadcaster, I think, if people want to see this, Patricia, they can Search your own, and you'll find it on other channels. But I think the state broadcaster should not be showing it, like in the Irish Republic. And I can't see repeating how anyone that calls themselves an Irish Republican could sit down and actually wa- watch this.
2: Stay there, Joan. Um, I'm having a problem with the line, so I'll put I'll put John back on uh, hold. There, John Paul. Uh, Joan, you've got the opposite view. You've got the TV set for seven a.m.
6: I have on BBC One <laughs> okay. until 3pm okay. and as well as that I possibly will watch some of it on the day but I can assure you it will be on that for at least a month or two and I will watch it possibly that night maybe not all but I will watch the whole thing at least two or three times sitting down chilled out when people are in bed with a pot of tea and I will take in every aspect of it.
2: And do you see it as light entertainment? What, what? I
6: see it as enjoying an event that hasn't happened for 70 years. Yeah. I think it's lovely that Michelle O'Neill got invited and will go. Our own president that I adore will also be there. And I do think that Charles, deep down, is a very good person. I have watched Songs of Praise religiously, and I was very impressed last Sunday by seeing all the work his charities had done for prisoners and people down and out for drug addiction. And in general, it will be enjoyable. We'll see pomp and ceremony. We've had enough of sadness in life. And it is a time to celebrate. Yeah, let bygones yeah. be bygones Yeah,
2: I think a number of people would agree with you on that. I'll try and bring John back in. Yeah, John, I'm let by in, yeah. let bygones be bygones, and it's a little bit of pomp and ceremony that we don't get to see that much of here in Ireland. But, 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 Can what, you not you, just watch it for what it is?
9: Well, if you put. Uh, if you would put Tom screws on me I wouldn't it in the number one anyway because I cast myself as an Irish Republican and uh, how any person that considers themselves a Republican could watch it is beyond me we don't need to see the circus how the English people put up with it is beyond me I was watching Sky News last night I just saw I didn't go looking for it but I just came up on one of the news pieces where they had a garden party in Buckingham Palace and to see all the hats and the ridiculous and gaily and everything like I mean these people wouldn't even get a job in a circus yeah but
2: you I see mean, I, I, well, maybe it's a female thing Joan, I love all the dressing up and the hats and and I watching. Love yeah, and I so love
6: it. so do I. See the people, I love everything about it. I actually think Camilla has come out of her shell. I actually, she would be one of my favourite royals now. Okay, and I generally enjoy everything about it. I don't think of poor Mountbatten get murdered. I try and switch off. I think, of,
9: uh, and I, think of, uh,
6: I don't uh, look into the. What has happened in the past, I look forward to making new
9: roads with England into the future.
2: OK, John, those, John wants those, to come back in. Go on, John.
9: Uh, do, do, those roads are already there. We have we looked at the waters over As The guards look at I me and what it was before. Like, I mean, and look, we're our and all neighbours now. But at the same time, we have our own identity here, right? And as I said, I, had, I, I, I certainly wouldn't be at modern Charles because the man is an adulterer, right? I mean, he was a, a woeful husband like me to Diana. I mean, so the whole thing is, and uh, you see. Yeah, but how how
2: is this taking from your, you say we all have our own identity? The coronation on Saturday has got nothing to do with the Irish identity. It's not going to take from your identity or your republicanism, and it's no, not but going but to affect the Irish Republic in any well, way. The,
9: the, the, well, number one, I, I don't think Michelle O'Neill should be going over there in fact, trying say what President should have gone either. But that's another point. But, but she, is,
2: she, it, I think she made a very valid point. And I think she's very brave to be stepping up and saying, "I'm going to go." If she's there to represent everybody in the North, then she has to represent the Unionists. I think she well, has to be there.
9: Well, I suppose you'll get a big debate from the other side on that. But the whole thing about it, look, I don't see what the state podcast If you want to go looking for this, you'll find it on other channels. I think the state broadcaster of the Irish Republic should not have shown this live, and there are the commentary there's going to be a host of characters you now commenting on this, that, and whatever, right? And I, as I said, and I'll finish on this, uh, if you consider yourself an Irish Republican, and, and, and all that we went through to get our beautiful Republic, right, and our free Republic, right, even though we a lot of problems by our current people who are governing us but at least we still have a republic. You should not be watching uh, that. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't
2: Hilaria. think. It, I don't think in any way it's taken away from your from Ireland as a republic a coronation going on in another country, John. I I really don't. Well, Nobody's been I, asked this. to swear allegiance, uh, and I know in sure. Britain they've asked people to stand up in their lounge rooms and swear allegiance. Nobody's been asked guys. to do that in in Ireland. All right, uh, just switch over to another channel, John. Okay.
9: Well, look, uh, I can't force people, uh, I mean, that are going to watch it, not to watch it. But at the same time, I mean, I think the state broadcaster, look, should not be showing because they're facilitating it and people that call themselves Republicans shouldn't be watching it.
2: Well, they're facilitating it for those people who don't have all of the English channels. And remember, there are sections that don't have all of the other channels. All right, John, thank you for that. And Joan, enjoy it on Saturday.
6: I will. (laughs) And like, I am an Irish person, but I wouldn't die for Ireland if I had a chance. And I do believe that doctors differ and patients Die.
2: On that note, we leave it. Thanks, Joan. Okay. Thanks for joining the us. Same the three Cork Diary.
1: With Cork County Council, delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See Parish
2: Paris Chocolates, the fundraising shop in Domamwe. They've got their 15th birthday celebrations going on today. It's on all day. Everyone's welcome to come along join them for a chat and a cuppa. The next draw for the Kildallari community, lot is taking place in the community office this afternoon at four jackpot 8,400 euro tickets are on sale in all of the local outlets and Ducas Heritage are presenting a documentary film screening at half past eight tonight in the Clonakilty GAA Club Pavilion it's a history of milling in uh, Cork it was produced and directed by Anne-Marie Green an entry fee is five euro cash only please social dancing in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow night from 9 to 12 midnight music by Peter Burke admission 10 euro and that does include teas and Tea celebrates its 400th birthday tomorrow the 5th of May now 10 years later a social uh, it was the 5th of May 2013 now 10 years later a social gathering will be held in O'Donovan's Hotel at half past eight where the celebrations will be shown on the big screen from 10 years ago and all are very welcome.
1: Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's Macroom, McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to C-M-I-G dot I-E
2: And a bit of mixed reaction coming in to John and Joan debating the whys and the wherefores of the coronation. Noel and another John both a great with John O'Donovan that RT shouldn't be watching it and Martin in says Patricia the English almost wiped out the Irish are we all of a sudden forgetting that while um, Breda in Mallow says good on you Joan I'm totally with you we are neighbours at the end of the day I also do think King Charles is a good man half of our family are living and working in the UK and uh, Breather also totally agrees with Michelle O'Neill attending 081 oh, one eight one zero three one zero three. Keep your pet questions. I can see them coming in for Jane Pickett. Uh, keep those coming into us, please, because Jane is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes. But before we go to Jane, just want to touch on um, the price of milk. And now we know the price of butter has also come down. But just on milk, uh, Bernice in the Cork City Centre sent in a text to say, "Hi Patricia, yesterday I went out and I purchased two litres of milk, and the use by date was Tuesday, the second of May." and Bernice bought it on Wednesday the 3rd of May which meant the milk was out of date when I got it home if this is going to be the outcome of our prices coming down what's the point we're going to be buying stale food and we'll all end up being sick more often well uh, Bernice that's unfortunate what happened I will be bringing it back immediately if I got it home and discovered it it's one of the reasons when you're in the supermarket you need to check the dates I'm very pedantic about checking the dates on milk and if you go to the back of the freezers you'll find the days with a longer date uh, on it she I was only shopping a few weeks ago and an elderly lady who didn't have her reading glasses with me was uh, picking up milk and she said, Can you, would you mind checking the date on that and I would no problem at all saying look I'll go back into the back of the fridge for you and I'll get you one with a longer shelf life because she said she doesn't drink a lot of milk and she doesn't want the milk uh, going off so you just that's got nothing to do Bernice you were just unlucky that's got nothing to do with the price of milk uh, coming down it was just unfortunate that you picked up one with a sell by date but bring it back I'll be going back into the shop Uh, with it but uh, there is a bit of good news in that milk has come down in price as has uh, butter and now reading in the papers today uh, we could be set for a a little bit of a price war because all of the big retailers seem to be jumping on this price cuts are being passed on to consumers the supermarket chains now are battling to try to maintain their market share and they're choosing to cut the cost of dairy products Um, now they are cutting the prices uh, because there has been falls globally in commodity prices. So it's only right and proper that these falls are passed on to consumers. But the price war now that's breaking out at the moment on milk and butter comes at a time when grocery pli- price inflation has been, never been so high. Supermarkets are keen to target consumers who are visiting the shops more regularly and doing smaller shopping trips. So that's one of the reasons that they're going for the staples. They kind of think what well, people come in and out to buy milk so we'll attract them in with milk, we'll attract them in with uh, butter. And there's a quote in the paper from a Professor Michael Wallace who is a UCD expert in farm or farming economics. He said Irish shoppers can expect to see more cuts in the price of dairy products. He said it's mainly due to a fall in global dairy commodity prices and he cites things like fertiliser and feed inputs. And there was an undersupply of commodities last year, but we're seeing the exact opposite this year. So Professor Wallace is saying this will lead to further falls in farm gate prices, and that should translate into price cuts for dairy uh, products as well. He's predicting a price in bread. He said it'll feed into further reductions, he reckons, in milk and in butter for consumers. But on the other side of that, The farmers have uh, reacted furiously and they're questioning if they're going to be expected to take the financial hit for the lower prices in the aisle. Now, Tesco were the first to say that this week that they would reduce their own brand butter. Tesco was out saying, we're going to reduce the butter by uh, 40 cents a pound, which meant the price of a pound of butter would be coming down to 2.99. Now, when Tesco were asked whether the shop or the suppliers was the one taking the hit on the price cut, Tesco supermarket said that Tesco is investing in this price reduction. So do we take it that they're Taking, the, their, uh, they're taking it from their prof- profits. And then a similar packet of butter from Little also drops to two ninety nine. Aldi and Supervalued, they then announced they were also cutting the price of their own brand uh, butter uh, by £0.40. Cent. But what annoys me is it takes one supermarket to decide on a price and then all the rest uh, follow suit. I mean, if Tesco were initially able to do it by £0.40, cent, why didn't any of the other supermarkets come in and why did they not uh, uh, start it? But anyway, it's £0.40 cent less if you're going out to buy a a pound of butter and a string of government ministers including our own finance uh, minister Michael McGrath they've called on the grocery suppliers and the energy providers to start cutting the price particularly to reflect the fall in input costs the milk and butter price cuts comes of course as the ECB is set to announce its 7th interest rate rise uh, making it more expensive obviously for first time buyers and those who are locked in to fixed rates grocery price inflation now we know we spoke about it earlier in the week it may have slowed for the first time in two years and just it's a tiny tiny fall but prices are still rising in double digits I mean if you look at shoppers in our our Irish supermarkets we're paying 16.6% more for goods in the 12 weeks to the middle of April now it was just down very slightly Uh, but when you compare that on on the previous month but that's worth it's 16.6% more than what we paid this time last year now the various farming organisations are are coming out including the Irish Creamy Milk Suppliers Association they're calling on the corporate retailers to confirm that the reductions in the price they charge for milk and butter will be entirely funded out of their margins and won't be passed on to to the uh, co-ops. They say it was last year farmers were receiving on average around 60 cent for a litre of milk supplied. So far this year, the price paid to farmers has fallen by at least 15 cent a litre. So they're saying enough is enough. The IFA has called for the immediate establishment of a food regulator in the wake of the price cuts to uh, dairy products. But it is a bit of a welcome news for us, the consumers, to see both milk and butter come down and, you know, I can hear people say that can they can they bring even more items uh, down. But what's interesting when you look at the price of milk and uh, butter and, and when you compare it to what we were paying for milk and butter two years ago, because it was two years ago when food prices start started to go up. So, OK, up to yesterday, a pound of butter was three thirty nine forty cent off. It now brings it down to two uh, 99 But if you compare how much was a pound of butter at the start of May in 2021, would you believe a pound of butter was €2.19? So it's still way above what we were paying two uh, years ago. And then when you look at the price of milk, the price increases even more, more draw, dr- dropping even though it's come down by, what was it, 10 cent? It came down uh, last week. Two litres of own brand milk are now €2.19. But if you go back to the first week in May 2021, so two years ago this week, two litres of milk was one euro. 49. So that means that milk has increased 80 cents for two litres in two years, but it's only decreased by 10 cents. So, you know, it's a, it's a very small decrease compared to the whopping increase that we have been uh, paying. And I know Vincent de Paul uh, have been out this week and why they've welcomed the price uh, cuts. You know, they're already saying they are helping so many uh, families. Uh, For example, for the month of April, around 7,000 people contacted the societies of Vincent de Paul saying, that they literally did not have enough money for their weekly shopping. They didn't have enough money to put enough food on the table to keep them and their families going. So St Vincent de Paul had to uh, help them out. So while you know we welcome the drop, uh, certainly groups like Vincent de Paul are saying much more needs to come down in price.
1: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon,
0: Patricia. And you're
2: very welcome. And let me start with a lovely, lovely text that I got in earlier Um, just signed M saying Hi Patricia, just want to thank yourself and Jane the vet for advice given a few weeks ago. We managed to coax our wild cat who had a very nasty infection in her eye. We managed to coax her into a cat cage. We took her to the vet where she was operated on and had to have the eye removed. She had an overnight stay and we were delighted to bring her back the following morning. The operation was a great success and the wild one-eyed cat seems to have calmed and settled with us since She's best buds with our dog now, too. Great credit due to our excellent vet for doing such a great job. Managing to catch the cat was a great achievement. And we're all delighted that our story has a happy ending. Keep up the good work and thank you for all the advice. Isn't that lovely?
0: Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. I'm delighted it worked out so well and really, really well done for catching the cat. As you say, it's no mean feat.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, that wild cat could turn into a much loved pet because it'll start trusting you and everything.
0: Absolutely. Some of them do seem to tame down, particularly if they have a period like this, where they may be a little bit more reliant for their care or for feeding. Sometimes they can kind of integrate themselves into the family unit. So it sounds like it's already making a, a good start, making making best of friends with the dog. So I'd say you might have a cat on your lap before before long passes.
2: And survives. There's, there's no problem with a one-eyed cat. It'll... It'll no they,
0: they cope so well so they do they're really resilient creatures and they tend to do brilliantly.
2: Okay well done. Okay I text her I have a seven month old female Cavachon she's constantly biting her tail is there anything I can do to stop it? Is it just a habit?
0: Oh okay it could be a habit. Um, so I suppose first and foremost, is there certain times of day where it happens? Is it in the evening when everything's quiet and down and no activities happening? Is that when the tail biting happens, or does it happen at other times of the day? Perhaps when there's other exciting things going on, but the dog still seems distracted by its tail it's possible it could be behavioral but to be honest my gut feeling on this one is it more likely might be a sign of discomfort and um, so I suppose the the more common things around the back end so I suppose sometimes we can get skin or tail infections that's common enough and um, particularly if they've had a recent bout of runny poos or anything like that and they might be quite clean around their back end and um, that's common enough but sometimes it can be the anal glands or bottom glands so these are scent glands that are inside the bottom but they can fill up and normally they'll fill up and empty very normally with each poo that passes through them. But sometimes, for one reason or another, or maybe a recent tummy upset, if the stool hasn't been solid enough to empty them out, they can get very full and sometimes they can get infected. Now, because those bottom glands are kind of hidden just inside, the dog can't really access them. So sometimes they'll manifest it by biting at their tail or biting at their back end because they're trying to get to what's uncomfortable for them, but they kind of can't, so they miss and they redirect to the tail or the bottom. So. I would have a I suppose my gut feeling is maybe it's a problem with the anal glands or it might be a problem with with the skin around that area but look if your vet checks it out says everything's good in that area then have a little think about behavior so you know, if it if it is something that happens, let's say at the quieter times of day, maybe redirecting their behaviour to something else. Buy them a nice toy that's nice and resilient, dog-proof, and um, that they may be able to re- redirect their biting, chewing behaviours to. But I think this warrants a check out by your vet just to make sure that there's not a source of discomfort they're trying to tell us about, um. For but best of luck with that one, and, and 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 congratulations on the relatively new addition to the household.
2: Absolutely, Liz has a golden retriever puppy. It's just four months old. He's on Cali. Calibra Life, junior medium breed, and he's on 160 ounces twice a day. But his stools are very loose. Any suggestions? And could it be the diet?
0: Okay, interesting one. Different dog foods suit different dogs. Um, I am I suppose I'm very familiar with Calibra as one of my own dogs eats it. Um, There's plenty of good quality, kind of comprehensive, good complete diets for dogs out there but I think the key things for puppies are really you want to make sure they're on a puppy diet until they're at least a year of age so it sounds like you're doing a good job I know Calibra do kind of a junior life stage one which is brilliant lots of other brands do similar things and um, I suppose first and foremost are you feeding anything else with the food so is there anything that could be happening apart from the the food that you're feeding? um as kind of the main diet that might be upsetting the tummy in the meantime so are they getting scraps from the table are the kids throwing them things is there anything that could be upsetting the tummy besides the diet if that's the case cut those out first and foremost and see if things settle down if the stool is still soft and i suppose it depends on how soft it is now if we're talking kind of soft that you'd still be able to pick it up then that's something that's maybe manageable as long as your your dog is feeling otherwise well and you would have some time to work on the diet but if it's much softer than that in a younger puppy if it's if it's loose to the point where you wouldn't really be able to pick it up you might need to get some veterinary attention in the meantime whilst you sort out what's causing the diarrhea because these little nuggets you know four months of age they don't have a lot of reserve A bad bout of diarrhea can really knock them back so sometimes you need to do symptomatic treatment um, to tide them over now they, dogs and cats can get bugs just like we can and and that can loosen the stool but if it's a consistent thing that's ongoing and your pet is otherwise well i suppose it could be the diet it may be a case of discussing that with your vet if you've eliminated that in no treats and snacks are complicating the situation that might be upsetting the tummy if another brand might suit your pet but what i resist the temptation to kind of play ping pong with your diets so resist the temptation to change them every week until you find something that settles because ultimately puppies have really sensitive tummies to begin with some are more sensitive than others but even simply changing the diet from one good quality diet to another can be enough to kind of throw them off temporarily now it can be done needs to be done very gradually if that's something you consider but you know if you're changing their diet very frequently in the search of something that suits them you could be kind of making trouble for yourself so have a chat to your vet make sure there's nothing else going on maybe get them some symptomatic treatment for their diarrhea if it's if it's loose enough that you can't pick it up um and have a chat about the diet to to your vet and see if there's anything that can be done
2: Okay, Karen says my grandchildren's border collie just turned twelve months and has developed a nervousness with strangers. Now he doesn't bark, but he backs away and he actually wheezes. They live in the countryside and the dog wouldn't see a lot of people on a daily basis, but it's becoming a problem now for the household. Any advice, please? Mm
0: Yeah, OK. We have all the young dogs today. Yeah. So it it is really one of those things. I think it's I, I suppose I live very rurally in the country myself. I, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing when you have a dog in a rural environment. It's brilliant for them. They have plenty of places to run around to, lots of the outside to enjoy. But the trade off is unless they're taken to where other dogs are, they don't tend to have a lot of socialization with other dogs and with other people unless you have frequent callers to the house so that is one thing that's a bit of a problem with super rural dogs sometimes and particularly the nervous breeds and collies would very much fall into the category of the naturally nervous breeds i think this is something that needs to be tackled now rather than leaving it propagate more so what i would say is don't kind of force your dog to engage with strangers when they arrive because they're really protecting themselves by backing away and weeing they're showing that they're really submissive they're not going to cause any danger and they don't want to cause any trouble So overloading them with contact is not the way to go. So, you know, if they want to back away and go to somewhere quiet, let them do that. If you push them, they may move on to the next stage of their fear and that might be aggression. So you need to be really careful just to tread carefully with this one, particularly as we have a colleague that's nervous. It may just be a case of having gradually regular callers to the house regular callers that maybe will see the dog but not try and interact with it initially so keep very hands off initially just have callers that are around different voices talking around the dog and gradually being a bit more in the same space as them, but I would say just try not to overload the dog, particularly for twelve months. You know, you know, you need to sort this out now to avoid it escalating. But slowly, slowly is the way forward, rather than kind of overloading with them with lots of rubs and contact and strange people. Just do it very slowly, and maybe get get a friend on board if you have a friend that you know has a dog or has a I, I suppose is fond of dogs. Maybe get them on board, make them aware of the situation, make a plan for them to call over for a cup of coffee maybe once or twice a week, and gradually spend a little bit more time around the dog without forcing it. Yeah, that it's So, so
2: socialisation. And a final one. Hi, Jane. Is I have you? a seven-year-old Yorkie who loves either sitting on the couch or jumping up and lying on beds. Is this bad for a dog? Should a dog be inside or outside? And should dogs be allowed to sleep on human beds?
0: Ah this is a contentious issue. Yeah (laughs) I I suppose it's a personal decision is what I'd say so I would say that all dogs should have at least some inside time I think certainly in the climate we live in the days of the dog who just lives outside unless they have a a purpose-built very insulated dog house are gone you know it's it's too cold in this climate in the depths of winter for them to be outside outside. Um, I would say it's really normal for them to interact with their family and, and part of that is being inside in the house a lot of the time. Now Again, that really depends on your situation. If you have small kids, that might change things. Obviously, supervision is needed, so it may not be possible for them to be in the house 100% of the time. That's absolutely fine. As regards sleeping on the bed, <laughs> I I suppose, hands up, my own cat sleeps on my own bed. So I'm not going to say it's the <laughs> wrong thing to do. What I will say is you just need to be a little bit mindful that dogs and cats can pick up some parasites and bacteria and viruses that we can get. So I suppose the real thing is, you know, it's a grand thing to do, but you need to be mindful of the fact that, you know, hygiene is really important and keeping up to date with your pets, preventative treatments like it's vaccinations and it's worming, particularly really, really important in that situation um, to make sure that everybody in the family is safe. But ultimately, there's no right or wrong answers there. I'm afraid it's a personal choice.
2: And they like their creature comforts. Listen, have a great week. And uh, we'll talk next week, Jane. Thanks for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mid Street Veterinary Group. Let me go to some final texts that have been coming in. People were listening to John O'Donovan and to Joan uh, who were talking both sides of should we be showing the coronation on RTE and who will be watching and who won't be watching it Anne says Patricia I think that poor man Jonathan, O'Connor is very bitter I think the royal family have been trying very hard to make up with the Irish because of all the things that happened in the past it's time to let the past behind us and let us get on with our neighbours for a better future that's from Anne and then Anne Marie says Hi Patricia Joan on your comment line is correct John thinks that we are not Republicans if we sit down to watch the coronation I am very proud of my Irish heritage and indeed my ancestry. My family members fought for this country's independence, including a a leading role in the tide wars in the Midlands. Therefore, I don't have to prove my loyalty to Ireland and I feel confident enough in my Irishness to appreciate the celebration of a neighbouring culture's culture. Thanking you. Thanks for that. Anne-Marie and someone else says, but that John O'Donovan has too much time in his hand. He pops up in a load of different radio stations. He should lighten up as should those other TDs that were given out about us. They all just seem to love the sound of their own voices. So 818 103 103. Peg on things going up in prices. Patricia, I bought a jar of jam last week at one of the leading supermarkets. When I brought it home, I realised it was small. Normally there's 454 grams in it But when I got it home I realised there was only 340 grams in it And I think I paid the same price That's called shrinkflation And there is a lot of that going on I made the comparison with toothpaste The particular brand of toothpaste that I buy It disappeared and then it suddenly came back And it was a couple of cents Maybe 10 cents more expensive Not a lot, it's not too bad And then I realised it had gone from 100 down to 75. So a shrink inflation. And someone else says, Patricia, the 40 cent on the butter, bringing it down to 2.99. Well, that is 3 euro, not 2.99. Nine is, no one has given back the 1 cent. So why don't they just say 3 cent and uh, three euro and just be done with it? Well, if you're paying on a card, you'll get it for 2.99. So if you're paying in cash, they don't, they'll, they'll round up uh, rather than give you back your 1 cent.